I wanted to ask you this morning, if you were familiar with those two hymns that we sang earlier, uh, Lead On, O King Eternal. How many knew that song? How about the other one? Who is on the Lord's side? There's a different frame. So not many people. These are some great old songs. And, uh, but I wanted to draw a couple of your attention to a couple of those phrases. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. To be people who are strong in grace, uh, there is a preparation that, that we are going through because having left Eden and are moving towards heaven, we live outside of the garden and we are in a constant battle until we get home. And yet when we have salvation, we know that's our hope and we know that kingdom has come, but still there's a lot of preparation as we move into this battle. And as we get into uh, the whole message of Ephesians this morning, knowing that the Lord is asking us, which side are we on? Who is on the Lord's side? Uh, Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? Others' lives to bring. These are great, great hymns. And um, and as I've been thinking about this this week, uh, as we jump on message. uh, But let me begin by saying, as we we jump into the message of Ephesians, I want to thank Mark for last week taking that uh, theme who are we are who we are in Christ, and because as as you mentioned uh, reviewing that for those who are here, we are up there learning about the joy in Christ up there at camp, and so thank you for doing that mark um, but this this week, I was thinking about this passage, and I don't know about you guys, but my mind goes all over the place, and titles are a rough one, but you're supposed to get the title at the end of the sermon, not at the beginning. Not before, but I had several titles. But I settled on this one, The Way Love Fights. And as we get into this, uh, there is a particular issue, uh, theme that I want to bear down on so that you understand your position in this battle. In one sense, you are either a prisoner and oppressed or you are taking captive and conquering. You're either going to be a soldier or a prisoner in this battle. And so as we get into the book of Ephesians, we see from last week that, that we're moving towards the end. And everything that God has been doing in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 leads us up to this chapter 6 about being involved being involved with the things that God is involved with. And so we know from, uh, from the multitudes of sermons I've gone over, these are the things that <laughs> I want you to remember, the book of Ephesians, that God is doing something unusual and has been doing that in his people throughout all time. But as we go into uh, the book of Ephesians, last week I mentioned to be... Uh, Paul mentioned that we are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of Christ to be filled with his power is something that Paul mentions early in the book of Ephesians and talks about how the Holy Spirit does this inner work on the inside that the strength that you have is the strength of the grace, the strength of the love, 
the strength of the knowledge that the hope of forgiveness is yours. We really are very strong people. And as Daniel said, people who know their God display strength and take action. And as you move into the book of Ephesians, um, there's certainly a lot here. But I want to I go into this session with main, one main focus. And you'll get this at the end. God wants you to be strong for sure, but he wants you to be prepared as you are involved in the ongoing constant battle, not only where you are, but where the whole church is. And so we're going to go deep and wide and high and, what was the other word? Um, long. But I want to begin with an Old Testament passage. An Old Testament story you know the story where God called Abraham and Sarah to go start the nations. And by the way, if you haven't read uh, this church around the world, uh, make sure you pay attention because uh, missions began with Abraham. And we'll move into missions later on this year as we think about things. Um, by the way, I have some good news. Uh, Monday, I, I found my airline ticket to, to go to China at the end of May, I found the ticket and it was going to cost me $4,400. <coughs> Lord, this is too much. So he reduced it to $2,800 off. That was a blessing. So I got it from Cheapo Airs. Uh, thank you, Linda. We, we talked about that. So it's going to be a good recommendation. I'm not, not, this is not an advertisement, but... But just thinking about missions is coming, so be prepared for that. But here's a story in the Old Testament. You know the story of Hagar? How many know the story of Hagar? Yeah, a, a familiar story. But the story is there's conflict between her and Sarah. And uh, it was so abusive at home when she started to bear Abraham's child that the conflict between these two women was too much. So Hagar said, it is better for me to get out of here. It's better for me to go to the desert and die. When you go to the desert, it was a sign of saying, I quit. It's a sign of suicide. She knew she probably wouldn't make it. And so she was out running from this conflict with Sarah. And as she's out there running away from this conflict, God meets her. And what God says to Hagar, he says to you and me. But it's an interesting conversation because he says, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? Two questions that God brings to mind. Where have you come from? What are your roots? What's your family background? Who are you? Who are you? Where are you from? And where are you going? Where are you going? Identity and destiny. And she, of course, she, of course, bows down and says, Lord, you are, you are calling upon me. And so she says, Thou art El Roy. That is, you are that out of seeing. 
Now, some translations tra translate that, Thou art a God who sees all things. But that's not the meaning of the Hebrew. The meaning of the Hebrew is, Thou art a God who, who allows himself to be seen. And for those who see you, survive. And so she says, You have let me see you, God. And God did. And he says, Hagar, I do know where you are from. And I do know where you're going. But I want to tell you, you're going in the wrong direction. And therefore, God says to Hagar, you get up. Get up and go back into the very conflict that you're running from. Because I've got plans for you, Hagar. I've got a story to write in your life, Hagar. And again, you know the story. This is the idea that, that uh, Moses, throughout the whole Pentateuch, begins to talk about the identity of God's people, the destiny of God's people, and the direction as God's leading them in, out of Egypt and into the promised land. You see this idea that God is on the move and his people are following the God who's on the move who allows them to see him leading them through this whole process. This idea that you would come out of Egypt and Moses would lead them into the promised land and then Moses would die and he'd raise up Joshua and Joshua would take him into the promised land and Joshua would die. But in the promised land, and here's what I want you to get, in the promised land, the battle isn't over because Joshua would die and he'd have to raise up other people. And so this idea that God is on the move, leading his people into, um, into a land that is occupied. And so um, in Exodus 22, Israel had to engage in warfare. And he says, I will draw them out before you little by little, little by little until you become fruitful and you take possession of the land. And the battle would be a process where they would not just be miraculously delivered, they would be engaged in a battle one by one, little by little. And I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, and I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. Exodus 23. Moses would say in Deuteronomy, When you go out to the battle against your enemies, and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid. How many times have you heard that? All the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do not fear. Jesus would often say that, wouldn't he? And Isaiah would say that. Do not fear. Even though the waters will surround you and the fires consume you, do not fear. There's something about the Lord that leads us into these situations where either our focus is going to be on the waters and the fires or on the Lord. But here, here Paul or Moses says, uh, Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God El Shaddai, uh, 
who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. And so do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart. It's not about you. That you're going to possess the land, but it is because of the wickedness of these matters that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so in Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see those horses and chariots, do not be afraid, he says. Well, from the beginning, from the beginning, from Moses on, you'll see this all the way through, and you come to the New Testament. There are men who were strong in the Lord, men who were courageous in the Lord because they weren't afraid. John the Baptist, he was not afraid. And whatever happens when there's a movement of God, when there's where the process, there's going to be battle. John found it when he was starting to have a success through the baptism. Who came to see him? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they were starting to pay attention. John wasn't afraid. Neither was Jesus. When Jesus' ministry started to multiply and the healings went everywhere, the Pharisees again were threatened by this man and said, we've got to stop him. We've got to stop him. This same conflict goes on. Wherever there's progress and a movement, you should anticipate conflict. And that's why Peter and John, when they stood on the temple, and they were confronted with, well, stop talking in the name of Christ. There was conflict. Well, we, we're not going to do that. We must obey God, not you. And these men were strong men, courageous men, just like Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And th these guys were out fighting. And so Paul and Barnabas had the same spirit that Paul and Barnabas, when they went through the land and they came to Ephesus, there were riots. There was conflict. And here's the point. Whenever you see God's people on the move, you will have conflict. If you do not have conflict, you are not in the ministry. Got that? If everything's sailing smooth, you're nowhere near the heart of what God is doing. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit sets His desires against the flesh. If there is no conflict, either something's not connected, or you can't see it, or something's going off. But Paul knew, Peter knew, Jesus knew, John knew that where the Spirit of God is, there is a movement to set people free, and there's a conflict. So we have to learn how to uh, understand this passage because at the end of the book of Ephesians, this is what's going on. Paul begins to think that these Ephesian pagan repenting people who come into the church now and therefore 
after the blood that they need to be prepared for. And therefore, after the blessing of God, the grace of God, the work of the church, the teaching of Christ, the imitation, he says, now, your turn. Be strong in the Lord and get prepared for this battle because you are engaged. You are involved in the battle. And Paul saw more that it wasn't just the fact that these were a defensive, uh, it wasn't a defensive position for Paul. But what Paul understood was that this church was going to be on the move to introduce into a pagan culture a whole new way of thinking, a whole new kingdom culture, a whole new biblical worldview, a whole new life in Christ, and that the Christians were to teach a morality, a spirituality, a healthy connection community that's going to be touched by the Spirit of God Himself. The church was going to teach the culture about life in all of its fullness. And therefore, we saw last week or two weeks ago uh, where God was going to introduce a, new, a whole new thinking about marriage, a whole new thinking about family, a whole new thinking about the way you treat people at work as slaves. Uh, everything was going to be changed. And Ephesian Christians get the idea that you're going to be involved in not just displaying something that's for you, you're going to be called to confront an immoral, a corruptible, a pagan society. And you've got a calling on your life. And I'm going to move you into that land of Ephesus just as I, as I move Caleb and Joshua into the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and mosquito bites. The idea that Paul had a vision that he was going to introduce a new wineskin of morality. That the Ephesians would struggle little by little. That they would have something behind them called the kingdom of God. So don't fear, God would be at work. It was new life in Christ Jesus. The one who died on that cross and resurrected from that tomb. It was new life. And so... He would say, be strong in the Lord. Understand that this battle is not just on your terms. It's not on your strength. He in you is greater than he outside of you. And you're going to be involved because you are called. You are called. And you cannot not be involved. Because you will either be involved as a prisoner, taken captive by this world force, or you'll be involved taking the world force captive. And therefore, those who are Christians who are strong in the Lord are going to be on the move, not just to be in a defensive position, but they're going to be moving in an offensive, not offensive, but an offensive, that their strategy is to move into and influence the world, not because the world is the focus. Our goal is not to change the world. Our goal is to introduce the kingdom of God. And therefore, we stand in an entirely different strategy. And that's why, that's why here at Chesterland, we are a forgiven community. But we want to be a forgiving community. We are a community of values and vision. We want to be a community that says something to the world that the world can't say to itself. And therefore, 
you know that there are five things that I've been trying. First ones are blurted out. Stop blurting it out so that, you, so that you remember. Now, those of you who are the first ones are blurted out, stop blurting it out. I want the others who don't know this to say, what are the five core values that I've been in those five color bars you see of giving cards? You need, anybody need a card? Here's a cheat sheet. What are those five things? C-R-R-R-R-R. It's not a pirate, but C is what? Yeah. We're not just a church. We want to be a Christ-centered church. Not just a social club. Not just a nice group of people. No, no, no. If you just want to be here to, to find some friends, you're in the wrong place. Christ is here, and you will have tension because Christ is coming after you to develop you. He wants to be uh, preeminent. I don't know who said this, but in all Christians, Christ is present. In some Christians, Christ is prominent. But in very few healthy, mature, filled with the Spirit people, is Christ preeminent. It's Christ is all. Christ before all things, in all things. It's, I live for Christ. I die for Christ. Second, Christ-centered. Revelation. Revelation. That we are not just people of the Bible. We are people of a revelation from the very throne room of God. And therefore, our message is not from the persuasive words of men or insight of, of what people have researched and come up with cleverly. He says, no, this thing of the cross, we would never have come up with that. We would never would have come up with the resurrection. We would never would have come up with the indwelling spirit. We wouldn't have come up with the fact of you can be graced into heaven. We wouldn't, that wouldn't have been a human thing because we we're fallen. We've missed that. Without the revelation, God speaking to us, God seeing us and letting us see him, we would not have a message. But that's a revelation. And that's our authority. Third, redemption. Our message is one that if you have sinned against someone and you have been destined for hell and a judgment, that the sin that you have damaged in somebody else's life and destroyed the, the very glory in somebody else's person, if you have stolen or done any kind of number of things, the trauma that, that, that God that you have had to deal with and God has had to restore you to because someone has faulted, offended, hurt you, you can forgive because God understands that all have sinned and all fall short. If you don't know about forgiveness, not just about forgiveness, it's about the freedom from those forces that destroy your soul and others' souls is that we have a redemptive message. Good news. You don't have to live according to the impulses of your flesh. You don't have to cave in to the whims of the world. But God wants to set you free. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And that's the whole redemptive movement. We really have something. If you know what that is, you have peace. You have peace. You have hope. You have love. But that moves us into the fourth thing, which is restoration. And the restoration is the fact that 
if you are not put together, you're in the right group because none of us are put together. But we're all little by little being restored. And therefore, that's going to... Here's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. God wants you strong. God wants you to know that there is an enemy. There is an enemy and there is a battle. And you better make sure you're fighting the right battle. And therefore, he says, you've got to be prepared. For this divine warfare requires divine preparation and divine weaponry. And therefore, we're going to go through this. So, you, But get this point. You are to stand in the battle. You don't run away. You're going the wrong direction, Hagar. Get back in there. Church, I've given you a strength to fight. If you don't want to fight, you don't get my strength. And therefore, if you're moving into the battle to conquer, then you understand that the Spirit of God is going to fight this battle and give you the victory so you can celebrate not only what God is doing in your life, but what God is doing in each and every one of ours, our lives. You see, we are involved in a conflict. And this conflict is a result that we have experienced because of the fall. And as a, res as a result of the fall, we live in a constantly arguing, politically uh, divisive, manipulative, lying, sneaking, hurting, damaging, don't hold me accountable, war that's constantly on every corner and everywhere. It's a fallen world, conflicted thinking and broken relationships. And so Paul goes on to say that if you understand these, that, that we all are in a battle and it's a struggle not against flesh and blood. This idea that the battle, notice, notice he does not say battles. It's one singular battle. And that battle is against plurality. Notice what he says. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. These are the things that we are dealing with. People are not the problem. You've got to understand that when you come into conflict, that someone who's really having all kinds of havoc going on in life, people are not the problem. There are forces unleashed that are holding people oppressed. That is the problem. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Though it is not against flesh and blood, it is through flesh and blood that you will meet the enemy. Because the enemy will be working through you as the Holy Spirit's going to be working through you. And so in one sense, we are part of this cosmic conflict that God says, I'm in control. From Ephesians 1, I am going to bring every ruler, every source of authority, every evil, wicked uh, rule under my feet, and God's going to conquer any kind of demonic power, any kind of influence that's destructive. But notice... He says, it's not about personal struggles. And therefore, people take this passage and they go off and say, well, if you've got individual struggles, psychological struggles, mental struggles, I'm not going to go there. Because this passage doesn't go there. 
this is not about your personal, and, and you've got to hear this, this is not your personal battle. This is whatever you're struggling with, finances, whatever, whatever emotions, whatever doubts, this is not about your personal battle. Is This is about the cosmic battle that God's involved. And, and therefore, it does talk about how these forces that are influencing people that are, that are ruled by the, the father of lies. Now, I, I could talk about this. I could talk about the schemes of the devil. I could talk about, I've got 12 schemes that I listed. I said, what, what does he do? How is he going to knock me off? But, but this isn't about the devil. This passage is not about the, the demonic forces. That's not the focus. The focus is not about the focus. The focus that Paul wants to get to is it's about the church. And this church is, is what the church does in the battle. And therefore, if you read that passage, uh, you can focus on struggles and you can focus on the Satan and you can focus on those things. We're not going to do that. But we're going to focus on the fact that the way the Christians fight, the way love fights in the battle is going to be different. And so you see from the Old Testament, from the time of entering in the promised land, Israel was obliged to engage in warfare against other nations. They were engaged and they were going to go to battle. They were going to stand firm and they were going to be aggressive and be proactive. Success is attributed to Israel's trust in the Lord. And failure is attributed to the lack of faith and disobedience. That's why God said to Hagar, get up and go back. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And therefore, as Israel went back into the battle, God knew that he would fight those battles. And therefore, you need the armor. I'm not going to talk about the armor here. You already know that passage. But the armor is basically that you're going to be, you're going to have the, uh, uh, here it is. You're going to have what is true, what is good, what is, what is right, what is at peace, these are the things that are yours. You can study these on your own. But the armor that you have will enable you to stand and not run away. You're going to take that sword and you're going to pierce it with graciousness of truth and set people free. You're going to take a piece and say, I'm no longer going to fight you. I'm going to fight the sin that's fighting you. I'm going to go after the, that which is destroying you. And therefore, it's not just about spiritual warfare. It's about spiritual friendship, walking with people into the kingdom. And therefore, how love fights. There are two things, a double-barreled strategy that Paul says in this passage. And this is what I want to move into the, the closing. There are two things you've got to learn to do if you're going to be involved with the battle. One, you've got to pray. Because prayer in the Spirit is what Paul says. You're going to use those weapons. You've got to pray for the truth. Pray for what's right. Pray for that peace. And pray for the strength. But you're going to pray, pray, pray in the Spirit. And pray as if the Spirit was praying through you. There's a pot of coffee for you. To think about what the Spirit prays for. Because He does pray for you. He does intercede for you. As does Jesus. As does the Father. But you've got to pray. Because prayer is the thing that's going to 
unnerve Satan. Because you're going to stand right in his face and say, I'm praying for you. I'm going to stick the Holy Spirit on you. But the second thing is he says, I want you to pray for me that the proclamation of the gospel, I'm going to declare, and when you declare the gospel, the demons fall back. The gospel is that which is the power of salvation. If you pray and proclaim, you're in the battle. Now, the last question I'm going to leave you with, what happens if you don't fight the battle? The enemy comes in. And everything God's called you to do, you'll be like Hagar running into the desert. You are called to be involved in the battle. And if you don't fight the battle, the battle will destroy you. And therefore, it is about the gospel of the church. And if you're not willing to fight that battle, and you want to reduce it to little personal struggles, and you want to reduce it to some demonic uh, encounter, no, 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 no. It is about the mobility of the church moving through this kingdom, saying there's new life in Christ. We have the gospel. Pray about it. Proclaim it. Go out and conquer. That's what you need to be prepared for. That's the focus of it. You've been enlightened. You've been strengthened. You've been, and therefore, you've been blessed. You've been empowered. You've been enlightened. You've been strengthened. You've been taught. You've been, you've been imitating Christ. Now go. And he ends this for the Ephesian church, just like he ends it for us. We join the Ephesians in wrestling against the battle the demons of this world. But we're on the move. Let me stop here and pray. Father, would you give us the power of the Spirit to fight with you, with your strength, to pray in the Spirit and proclaim the gospel. And would you prepare us for these things? And we love it. In Jesus' name, amen.